Hey, Late Nighters. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, C.D. White. And of course, this is Late Night with White. So I hope you all are doing well. We are um, quickly approaching April. The weather is different. We've had snow in March, thunderstorms, severe raining, flooding, but we're still here. And of course, uh, the Ukraine issue battles on, but I'm hoping for um, some resolution as Russia comes under more and more intense um, sanctions and as Ukrainians really fight. And I want to remind all my listeners that, of course, there are refugees everywhere coming to America from South America, coming from North Africa where whole governments have collapsed. Um, coming from, you know, Asia, so, and Europe, so let's not be hard-hearted, let's really open our hearts to all refugees, you never know when it's going to be you, you never know when it's going to be you, so, just putting that out there, and if you're sending money, um, you know, to, to victims of the, of the war, and to refugees, maybe include, um, some others on your list as well um, because this ongoing reality for a lot of people who are fleeing um, war and poverty and hunger and just need a safe place and I'm really thankful that there are people whose job and mission is to take care of refugees that's such a great calling so that's on my mind tonight but on a lighter note I want to bring it down We've all got pressures and to-do lists a mile long and less time than we have work, right? Less time than we have work. So I've been thinking about just quotes that I love and um, passages that I love. I used to work at a place where everyone was um, an artist or a lit head, um, and it was about 20 of us in this apartment. And there'd be times when for about 30, 40 minutes, we have like a quote off. And one of the popular movies of that time, well, not really that time, but one of the popular movies that they enjoyed quoting was Sling Blade. Um, and then, of course, African-Americans, it's color purple. You can, you know, with your girlfriend, just say, um, Harpo? those people and they can come back because we've watched this film because it's part of our life and our breath and it made me think well you know I have a lot of these um sayings and quotes and axioms and passages that just resonate really large for me and of course other people do too so today I'd just like to give you 12 Quotes from texts and songs um, and life. My mom has really good ones. My mom has really good ones um, that really just are part of my toolbox of culture and of knowledge and of um, a source of help and strength when I need it, right? Because part of what 
sticks with us in a particular quote or lyric is its ability to take us to a moment or take us out of a moment and kind of redirect us in a way hopefully that's positive right that gives us to think about our nature or the nature of others or the nature of the situation in which we find ourselves so uh, and send me yours I would love to know like what are some of your favorite quotes sayings axioms um idioms that just get you over that you just rely on that is part of the fabric of who you are and these are numbered but remember the numbering is just to keep me focused it's not um a hierarchy it doesn't mean that these are the best and of course as I make a list I'm excluding even from my own source so many really good quotes and really good sayings and really good axioms um because you could divide this up into religious to spiritual to political to you know just strictly literature to poems and you know on and on and on so first is um it's one from Stephen King's short story of the same name and it's called all you love will be carried away and I love that and it and this this uh quote also of course appears in the text on a bathroom stall and the character is reading it and is struck by its profoundness <laughs> because in bathroom stalls we usually find very um uh quirky sort of um you know highly sexual but nothing that's going to make you think you know but I have thought about this since reading that story all you love will be carried away and I didn't realize it in my mind I I changed carried into washed all you love will be washed away but replacing that with the accurate word carried changes the impact of that quote to me because a person carries a force of nature washes and so I had to come to a new reckoning with perhaps what Stephen King meant by that but also the sense of helplessness uh, in the washed away you know it's beyond my control it was washed away to carried away um, the sense of something being taken from me that I didn't want to have taken so still one of my favorite quotes but just having that those words in their correct place gives it greater meaning but also changes the meaning and we find this a lot when we're you know singing our favorite songs all of a sudden find out those words you were singing not it at all my second um, uh, term or quote is the short one deliberate treason by Toni Morrison that resonates with me. She's talking, of course, about women um, who are deliberately treasonous to other women, either by uh, political view, religious view, social status, you know, healthcare denial. And um, I don't think that's one that I'm likely to forget. It just speaks so loudly to what many women face it's not just a male dominated society that's crippling it's a deliberate treason of other women that is probably more impactful and more treasonous and more wounding 
than the so-called patriarchy. My third one is from a song by Garth Brooks. Um, You know, there was a time when Garth Brooks was really on the scene in country music, and then he did that weird uh, emo album, which I applaud him for. I thought, because of course an artist is multifaceted, just because you sing country as your primary um, language doesn't mean there aren't other parts of your artistry and other music. And so I like this song, and I like the message of thanking God for unanswered prayers, because you live long enough, you will have discovered that some of your asks and your requests were denied, flat out denied, and you keep living in your life, oh, okay, yeah, thank you for not answering that. I didn't know what I was asking for or what I was asking for would have heaped on misery upon upon misery excuse me so um, I always love that uh, from Garth Brooks thanking God for unanswered prayers another song lyric that I really like um, and I like it as saying by Ella Fitzgerald because there there are multiple artists who've covered this but it's bewitched, bothered, and uh, bewildered. And the line, the lines, I'm wild again, beguiled again, is just beautiful, a simpering, whimpering child again. Those first days of love when you just, you're bewitched and bothered and bewildered. I think those lyrics capture that moment of falling in love, clear-eyed, but yet still doughy-eyed, right? Um, It's not the same as a teen love, but it's a mature love that's saying, oh, (laughs) yeah, I'm slipping into darkness again. I love it. Another song that I really like, and it's a Bessie Smith song, but I like it as uh, rendered by Billie Holiday, is Ain't Nobody's Business If I Do. I love that line. Um, And she goes on to talk about really this duplicity in life of being upright and upstanding, and yet being weak and being broken. And having two sides to oneself where you're shimming in the club on Friday night and bursting into the church on Sunday. Having those two people in one. I just love it. But still having the guts to say, this is who I am. It's what I do. And guess what? If you don't like it, it's none of your business. Move on. You know? We have this, you know, NYOB, mind your own business. And it's the same thing as ain't nobody's business if I do. I love it. And I love the way, I love the way Bessie sings it too. But there's something particular about Billie Holiday, I think, because she was so vilified in her lived experiences. And often was she quipped that, you know, people coming to see her or coming to mock and to see her fall and so I think 
when she sings that song, she's certainly channeling um, a protest, right? That gives the audience that it's unlike her and it's often um, hypercritical of her because she's an African-American woman. But love it. Of course, all of my peeps are going to know this one. Till you do right by me, everything you think will crumble. It's Alice Walker Seeley from The Color Purple. And once again, I for years had thought it was until you do right by me, everything you do um, will crumble. But it's everything you think. Once again, so much powerful (laughs) than my remembering of it. Everything you think will crumble. And she's saying this to Mr. at a time when he is saying that you're ugly, you're poor, you're black. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? And she forks those fingers at him and she delivers this line, this curse really, that is true because Celie at long last understands that I'm the foundation upon which your good things are built and I'm leaving. So guess what? And so, um, you know, when, um, when I do this and I do it with friends and, you know, we have that sister girl moment, it's just evocative of like the black female experience, um, with not only just men, but with the culture that both despises us, but uses our backs, right? To build its bridges. And so, um, I think Alice Walker's giving Seeley that mm, that punch of a line uh, is is hearkening to a self awareness that Seeley is coming into, but that a lot of women come into. Hopefully, not too late. Another one that I I love uh, from literature is I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. And of course, it's from the play Julius Caesar, and it's delivered by Antony at, um, you know, the burial service um, of Caesar. And what's so powerful about I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him, is that you know he's seething, Antony is seething with rage at the murder of his mentor. And, um, you know, this, this mighty man at the hands of Brutus and Cassius. And he can't come out and say, Um, what it is that he wants to do. But in this speech, he unravels them so much so that the people at the end are hungry, right? And that Brutus and Cassius know it's going to be war. I've come to bury Caesar. Literally his purpose, bury Caesar. Not to praise him. But after that comma, not to praise him. We know exactly what he's going to do. He's going to praise this man, right? Which is going to um, start a war. Taking a sip of coffee, sorry. So, it's one of my favorite lines because it really changes the play. It's at that moment that the play becomes this battle for um, the Roman citizens' hearts and for Rome itself. And um, since we know that Brutus was the most conflicted of the two, um, I believe that the speech is delivered 
really for his benefit. And in it, Brutus begins to question the rightness of his decision to participate in the assassination of Caesar. Next is uh, a one from the Bible, Exodus 9.34. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And in some texts it reads, And Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Because, you know, in the text, God is dealing with Egypt and punishing them with the plagues. And many theologians question the hardening of Pharaoh's heart by God. But I think if you reread those passages again, Pharaoh's already hardened. He's already um, hard-hearted. And so, really, um, he takes it upon himself to even more so harden his own heart. But it just speaks to the capacity of people to turn from what's right, to turn from last redemptive efforts. Like, you know, we often see long life as a blessing, but for someone who's got a heart and heart is it what kind of life are you living if it you know you're estranged from people you love or loved if uh it's compounded with misery if no one has anything good to say about you because of your hard heart are you being blessed with a long life because you've deserved it and you've done good things or because you're being whipped Discouraged and maybe prepared. I don't know. That's probably a little too deep for this, but um, it's that moment when, as a reader of the biblical text, you're and the people are suffering. And they don't have water. There's flies. There's um, and then, of course, we come to the the death of the firstborns, which in that culture are especially males, um, and it's God exacts his revenge on all the pharaohs of all time who had anything to do with the slavery of the Israelites. And of course, if we do comparisons to our recent experiment with slavery, and still yet, when you think about the convoys, the rednecks, the Confederate flag, when you think about Trump, pharaoh's heart was hardened. And yet, they're not recognizing the plagues that are being beset upon them. And not only that, but those who live in the communities with them experience the same plague. You know, it plagues, it, it rains on the just and the unjust as God's wrath is poured out. Just something to think about. But one of my favorite quotes, right? How are already malnourished and... <laughs> niggardly hearts can be made even harder just at the moment when we need to be as soft as possible next and this is one of my absolute favorites from literature from hell's heart I stab at thee for hate's sake I spit my last breath at thee 
And of course, you know, that's from Moby Dick, spoken by the mad Captain Ahab. And one has to wonder, is Ahab driven to this level of revenge and insanity by the well having taken his leg? Or is he driven to this level of insanity by the fact that maybe this creature in the moment of the taking became greater than the man himself. And so Ahab, you know, a lot of points in the text, it talks about him uh, striking against a dumb animal. But is it? Is the whale a dumb, uh, non-sentient in the sense of knowing right from wrong beast? Or is it more than that? Was he because he comes back at the end, we know, and exacts a terrible revenge and is in a sense married to Ahab for the rest of his eternity or until that body uh, ceases to be a body and you know separates from him. Um, but I don't think the well is a villain in the Ahab's POV, I think it is. Um, a creature that maybe at first showed mercy by only taking the leg and then it comes back and it carries away everything all you love would be carried away save you know those who were able to survive the lone survivor right but I think when Ahab speaks that from hell's heart because like Pharaoh, he knows he's he's not destined for the you know the heaven, you know the heavenly place, the place of rest. He's destined for uh, and maybe he seeks out an end that will not be a place of comfort, but for hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee, giving over completely to the dark side of his human nature. And not only that, because this is how revenge works, he brings everybody down. Everybody loses in this scenario. Next is to, you know, leave revenge and hard hearts behind. I love Bruce Springsteen. I, his body of work is wonderful. And it's rich, and you can see his evolution as a songwriter, um, and his consciousness change as he becomes older, wiser, and richer, right? Because wealth, um, and I don't mean this in, in a, well, it's going to sound really overwhelmingly negative, but I don't mean it this way. Wealth um, strips away the power of artistry in a sense. Like when I read Stephen King now, as opposed to his works when he was a young, poor, struggling writer. There's a change. Doesn't mean the writing isn't as good, because of course they grow in talent, and they grow in craftsmanship, but there's something about poverty and hard times and scrabbling that lends an edge to a work, that lends a reality to a work that is lost when we become fat and wealthy and all of our needs are being met. 
and the pain and the traumas are smoothed out by fine wine and fine steaks and vacations in the Bahamas or in our vacation homes in the Bermuda. There's just something about the mind and the heart that changes. And the art, of course, changes with it. But his older body of work is really beautiful, almost hauntingly so. But I love this song from Thunder, well, I love the song Thunder Road, and I love this line. Show a little faith, there's magic in the night. You ain't a beauty, but hey, you're all right. And it sounds like he's putting Mary down. Mary's the woman that he's speaking to. But he's not. I think that he's speaking to her own fears of women's own, oh God, I'm not as pretty as Sandra. I'm not as voluptuous as, you know, and whatever the case may be. And he's saying, you're not a beauty in the way you want to be, but you're just fine. Because as she's coming to him from the, uh, and letting the screen door, you know, sway, he says she's a vision. And so we know that he is um, full of the feelings for her, right? But he recognizes that within herself are doubts. And he's giving her this option of, hey, jump on the bike with me. Let's get out of here. And he does this in several songs. Wendy, there's a Wendy in um, Born to Run. Wendy, let me in. I want to be your friend. Okay, and then there's a Mary. So his conversations with women are about um, saving them in a sense and having them accompany him even though he's saying I'm no savior but yeah you are you're offering this chariot, chariot of steel you're offering to take them with you and um, I don't know much about his personal life number of marriages all that but um, it takes a lot to write about saving someone and asking someone to journey with you I found that very powerful and then last um, it's a very short quote from Richard Wright all literature is protest all literature is protest and for my writer friends out there it makes perfect sense I mean, we don't start out Um, we start out with the ghosts of our characters right they come and they sit and we talk and we chat and we write the story down it's not until we start drafting and editing that the shape of it becomes clear to our own minds and we find threads and voices in the work that we didn't intend to be there And that's the beauty of of, of literature is that it's bigger than the author in so many unintentional ways. Um, Because I think that's the way it has to work to have resonance and meaning beyond just the author, right? Um, We all have things that we write just for ourselves and they typically aren't as beautiful or long-lasting to us as when we're just writing what comes, when we're entertaining the ghosts that have sat down before us and allowing them to occupy our mind and hearts and telling the story. 
all literature is protests. So just a few of my favorite quotes and lines from songs and art um, that I just find resourceful. And then I want to end with my mom's uh, something she often says. And she'll say it so quickly. I'm like, she said that thing again. And it's, um, you can always get what you don't want. You can always get what you don't want. And this is true, right? For something that you're kind of mad about or indifferent about, man, you can have that all day long. But the thing that you want, that you desire with all of your heart and mind, it doesn't come easy. Your fingers may barely touch it. And it's out of your grasp. And you're like, ah, I almost had you. But the thing you don't want, the thing you care less about, it's in your pocket, right? It's sitting on your lap. You can always have what you don't want. And remember that, um, I guess another sidebar to her, her saying that is her saying that the devil doesn't tempt you with what you don't want. Right? He's not going to come and say, hey, I have a, um, a 3-2 in a very bad neighborhood, uh, frequent murder and, you know, robbings. Um, that's what you don't want. The devil's going to tempt you with what you do want. Because you can only be tempted by something you desire. Something to think about. So send me yours. Please send me yours. Send them to latenightwithway at gmail.com. I would love to know the thoughts that get you over or you find humorous or that you go to in in moments where you just need to be reminded, okay, this is where I am. Ah, there's a quote for that, right? Thank you for sitting with me. I have pushed this podcast to 30 minutes. Ah, but you know. Thank you. Lay down easy and have a good night.